God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, uh, that you would just use Michael and uh, just show us more of who you are this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would remain standing. As we're in the middle of our statement of faith, and this morning we are going to talk specifically about these words. Last week we talked about the work of Christ, but his work on earth um, before the cross. This morning we're going to talk about specifically uh, the cross, his death and resurrection. So would you say with me together this We believe that Jesus Christ, as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. You may be seated. Normally I would tell you where to begin turning, but we're going to be all over the place this morning. So you can open up in the middle and then we'll go left and right. Um, momentarily will be in Romans and, and Ephesians and then some in the Old Testament as well, Leviticus and Isaiah. Um, it says, um, His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. Um, what do we mean by atoning? What does the word atonement mean? Someone talk to me. What does the word atonement mean? To make amends. Okay. What else? Okay. So, one theory. There's people who who doubt that, but yes. You look in dictionaries and it says the derivation that that they created this word. The the suffix M-E-N-T can mean uh, the cause of. And so, at one meant the cause of making us at one. That's an odd way of, of another word that we use in English. Um, what does that mean? To make something at one with something else. To unify. To unify. Okay. What else does atonement mean? It is a word that carries kind of a, a wide range of, of meaning, both in English, but also in its derivation in Hebrew and Greek as well. It, it's got kind of a, a broad meaning. So what else do we associate with atonement? Payment. Payment. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. Something that is perfect. Well, his atonement was perfect, uh, but that word in and of itself, not necessarily, uh, because there were atonements made that weren't perfect. So his was. To make right. To make right. Okay, it also carries uh, a little bit of that idea. Yes, it does. Actually, early, early, early on, uh, it was the idea of covering and, and just a kind of a, a weird deal. You would you would take a, a present and you would present it before a king, and this kind of fell out of use. But the early derivation, you take a present and you would cover his face with the present, so that he sees the present and and not you. And again, that's not exactly what that word ended up meaning, but that was the early idea of yes, you would. It would cover the one's face that you're presenting so they wouldn't see you, they'd see your gift. And yet we can see parallels of what went on on the cross. 
with that as well. Though we're not the one presenting the gift, which is interesting. Um, yes. In place of, yeah, mm -hmm. right. And all of those, we could really put into three broad categories. Um, one of the earliest uses, if you go back to um, Leviticus chapter 420, well, let me give you the three broad categories. Um, the idea of forgiveness, the idea of, of appeasement, uh, and the idea of reconciliation, which sort of all of those that we've talked about sort of fit under. So Leviticus 420, one of the first uses of, of atonement um, the priest shall make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. So you take that bull or that goat and you present it for God and it, it really, it did forgiveness. Granted, it wasn't perpetual forgiveness. It wasn't long-term. It was for whatever you're bringing it for. But the priest made atonement and the person would be forgiven. So when we talk about atonement, there is the idea of it is forgiveness. His atoning death is a forgiving death. Second idea is the idea of appeasement. Um, we sang about paying a ransom. Have you talked about that idea? Um, Isaiah 53 talks about God being satisfied and being pleased with that suffering servant. But somehow that, that satisfied something. Isaiah 53 doesn't spell that out necessarily. But the idea that God is satisfied by and pleased by the crushing of the servant, of him taking on our sins. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's this idea of an exchange, right? Um, and why would you need an exchange if there was something that didn't need to happen to the one that we're, we're doing that for? Um, and then a passage that I talked about earlier, uh, in Romans 3.26, it says that God would be both just and the justifier. So, in the idea of, of how can God be just, well, the idea that God is holy and that He has requirements for behavior, how can He remain just and have a relationship with us who are sinners unless He also is the one who justified us? So, there's this idea of because of what Christ did, God's justice is appeased or is satisfied. And then finally, the third idea is, is reconciliation. The reason that people would bring sacrifices in the Old Testament to God was because they were estranged from God. They, there was a separation and they needed to be reconciled to Him so that He would accept them as individuals and also as a nation. And so the idea of, of reconciliation. Um, Paul writes in, in Romans 5, While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. And he writes in Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There was a need for reconciliation. So those three big ideas, we think of atonement, um, we think of forgiveness, we think of appeasement, and then we think of reconciliation. So that's what atonement is. So then the next question that comes in my mind is, well, why do I need those things? Why do I need forgiveness? Why do I need God to be appeased? Why do I need reconciliation? So again, what's the, what are the answers to those questions? Why do we need forgiveness? Because we're guilty. What are we guilty of? Okay. 
But sometimes I go against other people's commands or wishes, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not necessarily guilty. I just have an opinion. They've got an opinion. Why is that? Why is that a bad thing? Yeah, but why is his opinion more important than mine? Someone, some of you are cringing, right? <laughs> yeah, because he's the sovereign. He's creator, right? His opinion actually matters. He created the world and the universe and the way it works, and, and he's ultimately the judge, and so his, his opinion matters. And he's got a kingdom, and he set up the rules for that kingdom. And what you and I have done is we have tried to build our own kingdom, right? I have said, I think the kingdom of me is more important than the kingdom of God. Someone wrote the other day, I read, um, the more I go, I believe less and less that there's anything such called as an atheist. I think we're all just a bunch of me-theists. Right? We don't believe in nothing. We believe in ourselves. We believe that we're right. And I'm going to build my kingdom at the expense of God or you. Right? My way is better. And even if it may look good, or even if I'm doing good things, right? Isaiah writes, all of our righteous deeds are like what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. Correct? Right? Jesus got on to the, the guy that came into the, to the wedding feast because he didn't have on wedding clothes, right? It's like, I'm, I'm going to get dressed up and go to this fancy banquet. And I said, well, I know. I'll go out into the garage and get all the rags I used to change the oil with, and I'll put those on, right? That's what it's like. That's what our righteous deeds look like to God. It's like we dressed up in the oil-changing rags. So we need forgiveness because we are rebellious subjects, right? Why, do we, why does there need to be appeasement? Why does there need to be appeasement? Why does God need to be appeased? Why can't He just be happy with us? Because He's holy, right? Now, this is going to seem strange. There's a song that recently came out where, it, where the uh, singer talked about he could have done it a different way, and the song is kind of, it's really good that he chose to sacrifice because it shows compassion. Well, that's just theologically wrong. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that makes some of you cringe again. God could not have done it a different way. You know, let that sink in. I was like, God's unlimited, yes, but God is consistent in his character, and the reason, and that's good news for us. God is holy. And he is just. And sin has to be punished. He couldn't have done it a different way. And the reason that's good news is, is because if we concoct in our mind, well, God could have just forgiven, or God could have done it besides his son, well, then what we're saying is, well, God could change something else, like maybe his faithfulness to his promises or his long-suffering towards us. The reason that Jesus appeased him because we were we were under his wrath. 
And the reason it's good news that God is, is wrathful is because he's consistent with his character. He always has been. He always will be. There has to be a death for sin. Ephesians 2, we are children of wrath. Jesus, early on in his ministry, told Nicodemus that those who don't believe are already under wrath. Paul, in Romans 1 through 3, kind of over and over lays out that picture that wrath is coming and that we are all under that wrath. And that sounds harsh and ugly and no fun, but the reality is it's good news that He is consistent and that He is just and that He is holy. And because we were under that wrath, we deserve death, and yet the blood of Christ appeased that, took our punishment upon Himself. And then the reason that we need reconciliation is because we were strangers to His love. Paul talks about that we were excluded, we were separate, we were strangers, we were without God. James says that we were enemies of God. We needed not just forgiveness. Okay, I, I forgive you, but I don't want anything to do with you, right? Sometimes that's the way human relationships work. I forgive them in my heart, but I don't have to trust them anymore. I don't have to spend time with them. I don't have to love them. And God went a step beyond that. Not only did He forgive us, He reconciled us. He restored the relationship between us and Him. And so it's more than just forgiveness. It's reconciliation. It's a restoring of a relationship. That's what the cross did for us. So, that's what atonement is. That's why we need it. Third question this morning is, how does His death atone? How does that work? I mean, why am I not taking bulls and goats still? Or if I'm poor birds or whatever it is that I'm doing. Why am I not doing that? Why am I not, when I become unclean, do I not go and offer those particular sacrifices they used to do? Why, why is His death enough? Why didn't you bring a bull or a goat this morning? How did he do that? He's just a, he, right? How did he do that? Because he was God, but also because he was sinless. He was a sinless what? He was a man, right? And both of those are important, right? Number one, he, our, our statement says he was our representative and substitute. See, the Bible talks about Jesus as being uh, the new Adam. You see, from Adam on, everybody that showed up on the planet has always chosen incorrectly. And so, therefore, we can't sacrifice for one another. I can't sacrifice for you because I'm not perfect. From Adam on, everybody that showed up failed the test of faithfulness. So, Jesus shows up as fully man. Right? Paul calls him the second Adam. And he passed all of those tests with flying colors, including the same one Adam failed of in the garden in Satan's temptation. He was in the wilderness and Satan tempted him. He passed. 
over and over and over again. He did exactly what the Father asked him to do. And so his humanity made him a perfect sacrifice. He could take the place, right? He, he, was, he was the first person. Think about that. The billions of people that have lived on this planet, he was the first and only one to do exactly what God wanted him to do. Perfectly, from start to finish. So he, he represented us as man. He, he stood in our place as the second Adam, and the word Adam really means mankind, right? He was the perfect representative for mankind. But still, he's just one man, so he could take Jim's place or Kathy's place, right? one-for-one correspondence, and that's why it's important that he's also fully God, because it was an infinite sacrifice. Perfection sacrificed for imperfection. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The complete righteousness, perfection, holiness of God has been transferred to our account And our sin, our unrighteousness, our uncleanness has been transferred to Christ's account and then that was punished on the cross. That's why Paul can say he was both just, his holiness was satisfied, and the justifier of those who believe. Because when we place our faith in him, again back to the end of John 3, that's what it's about. It's about faith in Christ. It's not about what you do. It's not about your actions. It's about do you believe? And when you do that, he makes that exchange. He's the one, he's both just and he's the justifier of those who put their faith in Christ. So how does the resurrection play into that? Because Paul very clearly, because that seems to be enough, right? If his death did all of those things... Isn't that enough, right? But Paul seems to imply in Second in First Corinthians fifteen that if there is no resurrection, you're still in your sins, right? Christ hasn't been resurrected; you're still in your sins. So, how does he say that? Well, the idea is the resurrection both justified and using that word a little differently than the way Paul uses it, the way James would use it. He both justified his work. In other words, the way James uses justified in in chapter 2, the idea of to show or to prove to be right. So the resurrection showed or proved that he was right. God raised him up as proof that that sacrifice, that cross was correct. It did what it was supposed to do. So the resurrection both justified his work, but it also demonstrated his victory over sin and death. If it's just a one-time sacrifice, then I'm going to need either another Jesus down the line or back to bulls and goats again, right? But the resurrection demonstrated that, yes, he has final victory over sin and death. He conquered that.
Or again, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're believing in someone who says they died for you, but he's still dead. So, another way to say it, the sacrifice was both acceptable and effective. The resurrection shows that, proves that. The sacrifice was both acceptable and effective. And so we say, and rightly so, that His atoning death and victorious resurrection is the only ground for our salvation. There's no other way we can be forgiven. There's no other way that God's wrath can be appeased. There's no other way that we can be reconciled to Him. There's nothing you can do, say, act. There's no boxes to check. There's nothing you can do other than trust in His death and His resurrection. Paul said, that's the gospel that you have to believe. His death and His resurrection. And so the question is, final question, what's my response? How do I respond to that? Well, you believe. What does that look like? So, I'm going to paint a picture that I've painted for you before, but on Wednesday, a whole bunch of 18-year-olds are going to send in what they call letters of intent to play for a certain school, play football for a certain school. National signing day happens on Wednesday. Many of those players have already made a what we call a verbal commitment, right? And so you can go to their social media pages, either their Facebook page or their Twitter account, and a lot of them already have like a picture of the stadium they're going to play in, right? Or the colors or the logo or a jersey, What's interesting is that every year, some of those people who have committed at the last minute change their mind. They change their allegiance. So last week, one of those kids kind of did that beforehand. He was committed to a certain school, and he said, you know what, I've changed my mind. I've changed my allegiance. I'm not nor going to this school, I'm going to that school. What's funny is he got made fun of and ridiculed because it took him a while to change the front of his social media page, right? He had changed allegiance, but you couldn't tell by looking at his profile. Couldn't tell that he'd changed allegiance. He'd reported it to the press, he'd made an announcement, but he hadn't gone back and fixed stuff. He hadn't, you look at his life and go, I can't tell you've changed allegiance. So people made fun of him. Now, you say you're committed here, but look, you're still acting like this. And some people didn't believe, didn't believe the press reports. Well, he hadn't changed yet because he, st- he would have changed his Twitter account, right? That's what it looks like when we say, I've put my faith in the death and resurrection of Christ, but I'm still wearing the world's colors. I've still got the world's logo on my life account. Right? When we change allegiance, it's not just that we believe, but it has a necessary effect. Granted, that sometimes doesn't happen immediately. Some people, it does. There are radical changes that happen immediately, but oftentimes that is a lifelong process of getting rid of all, right? I've, I've said this before, I've decorated my whole house in burnt orange because I'm a longhorn, right? And if I change allegiance and become an Aggie, I can't snap my fingers and all that burnt orange go away. 
I gotta take the banners down and take the posters down. Then I gotta go buy paint. And I gotta change orange to maroon, right? But that's what's happened. We have changed allegiance from my kingdom to the kingdom of God. And so not only is our response to believe, but it's to continue that process of digging in the closets and finding all the burnt orange and getting rid of it. Right? And all that stuff for us is right here in our heart. Anger, bitterness, gossip, lust, and doubt, impatience. Right? It's all in there. And sometimes we can do a good job of putting up a good coat of paint on it. It looks like, oh yeah, they've changed allegiance. And then something will happen, right? Someone opens a closet door, ooh, are you really committed? And that's what we look like to the world when we're not walking in the Spirit. We're not allowing Him to change it, or we try to change it ourselves in our own strength, and then someone comes along and annoys our routine, and the closet door gets opened up, and all that stuff that we've sort of saved, well, maybe I'll need it, right? Stuck the posters and the banners and the colors in the closet. Someone comes along and says, oh, are you sure you've changed allegiance? And we don't want to be made fun of, and we don't want someone to ridicule, we don't want someone to say, I'm not sure he's God's. And that's a process. It's a lifelong process. And it requires, number one, a trust in the Spirit to begin doing that in us, but it also requires us as the body of Christ to come alongside one another in compassion, but also in truth. And say, hey, why is that longhorn pennant still hanging in your room? I saw you interacting with that guy the other day, and it... That wasn't a very Christ-like manner. And so we come alongside one another and, and help each other overcome those things with compassion the same way Jesus would have done. People that came to him and said, I, I want to be different, he didn't turn those people away. He loved them and he touched them. And he transferred his righteousness to them and took their shame upon him and said, we can do this. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's table at all. That's also why we celebrate it together. As Paul says, it is a, a declaration of the death of Christ. It's a testimony to one another that, that I'm saying to you, I've died with Christ. I'm proclaiming His death until He comes. I've died with Christ. And you know what? I need you to help me live that out. And so when we take that bread, and, and we all partake together, we're proclaiming to one another, His body did what I couldn't do. He sacrificed. Would you help me live up to that standard? When we all take that, that little cup, it's just a, a small symbol of the truth. His blood washed me and forgave me and cleansed me. Would you help me to live like that's true tomorrow? And the next day, it's fairly easy sitting in here to do that. We can put on smiles and everybody's nice to each other. The hard part is tomorrow because someone, it doesn't happen around here a whole lot. No one cuts you off in traffic around here, right? That doesn't happen. If you drive to the big city, right, someone's going to cut you off in traffic. But you're going to have a coworker being unkind. You're going to get some bad news. Something's not going to go the way you wanted it to go. 
And so the question is, are you going to act like you've changed allegiance? You're going to go back and say, I'm, I'm going to build my kingdom because I, either I can handle this or it's just a default to the way we've lived our whole life. And so we do this as a reminder of what He's done for us. So let me pray for us and then we'll partake together and be nourished by that truth. God, I thank You for Your body and Your Son. That You really did come and inhabit human flesh and died for us. You went to the cross. And that cross tore the veil and allowed us into Your presence. God, I pray that You would work in our hearts this morning. That You would speak to each one of us where we are. God, that You would convict us of our sin. That You would show us where we're still hiding colors of the world instead of putting on Your colors, Your uniform. God, speak to our hearts. And God, I pray that if there's people in this room who have not believed that You would speak to their hearts. That you would show them the glorious wonder of forgiveness. That you would reveal your majesty and your glory to them. And that you would give them a hunger and a thirst for you. And that you would speak forgiveness to their hearts. And then we ask that you would use this small token, this small piece of bread as a reminder of your gracious and infinite gift. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.